I'm so glad you're here. I'm one of the pastors at Word of Grace, and uh, over this past few weeks now, we've been working through our theme of 2022, which is the way of God. God has a way, or, or put, put it this way, God has uh, a pattern of operating that goes with who God is. Um, uh, it's pretty much like you would say, you know how some of you say, I'm a morning person, or I, I'm someone who, uh, I see the morning people smiling, okay, um, or uh, this is just how I, I am, this is just my characteristics, this is how I operate, I'm, I'm better at certain things, and God in who is a very, very, who's very different from us, but at the same time, he has fashioned us in his image. So there are certain things that he does which are so characteristically him and him alone. And when we try and say, well, I would much rather God becomes a morning person or God became an evening person or we, we try and fit God into our box, right? And we forget that we're dealing with someone who is the source of our very life itself. So that's where I want to start. So this series that I'm going to be talking about is titled Our Father. And it's, um, how many of you have, when I say the word Our Father, what is it that comes to mind? What? How to be thy name. If you went to Catholic school or depending on where you grew up, you immediately, it triggers a memory that immediately says, this is something I should be praying. Correct? Yeah. But this is more than that. So when God is dealing with us as our Father, He wants us to see something more than just a liturgical thing that we can get through. He wanted to teach us about a relationship that He came to have with us. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about God being our Father in the context of go through the Old Testament, go through what the New Testament talks about, and also, along the way, we're going to try and unearth some of these wrong notions or things that we have picked up that religion has taught us, okay? Things that are deeply embedded. We don't even realize it's part of us, and it skews how we view God because we're so used to a very religious context the moment we say the word Father. Some of us have come, grown up in family backgrounds where um, you didn't have a fun home. You did not have a good experience with that word, Father. Uh, it's a very maligned, or at, at best, it's something that just is not a happy thought. So you're having to step over some of those things as well, right? But God is here to show you himself clearly, okay? So can you just say that to yourself? God wants me to see him clearly, okay? So regardless of all of the other stuff I have, all of the baggage I'm carrying, and all of the things that I think are going to skew whatever I see about this next series, I come to him saying, Lord, you want me to see you clearly. Can you just say that? In your, just privately just say, Lord, in your own personal prayer, say, Lord, I want to see you clearly. I don't want my history to define how I see you. In the Old Testament, and this is where a lot of this word comes from, so I'm just going to go through some background here for you. When Genesis 1-1 starts, what is the words we see? In the beginning, God, what does he do? Created. And that word there, created, is fused quite inextricably to the word Father. That is where we get the word Father for being the source of Life. So whenever you hear the word Father in Scripture, you often, it's often tied to this idea of God being the one who everything springs out of. For there to be a child, there has to be a father and a mother, right? So what God is saying is, He is the one who brings forth new life. So in the context of human history... We have God saying, before all things are, were created, He was the one who created them. He spoke things into creation. 
In the Bible, we see this phrase, he's the father of all creation. Do you see that? And that phrase is often what people immediately kind of gear towards the moment we say God is our father. We think of him as our source. We think of him as our beginning. We think of him as the one who all things come from. And that's not bad. That's absolutely right. However, that's where some of the Jewish people got stuck. God wanted to reveal his heart as father to them constantly. If you read through the scriptures, and I I don't have time to go through all of it, through Genesis, through Exodus, you start to see God call out and he says, Israel is my son. I want you to know me as father. But then they quickly shift back to the whole idea that because God is so fearsome and God is so holy, there cannot be any place of contact that I can be God's son in a relational sense. He is just my source. So they would immediately revert to God being father as source, not God as father, my relationship, my nourishment, my keeper, my faithful one, the one who holds me. So when you start to see these revelations of who God is through scripture, where you see Jehovah Jireh, right? God who sees and provides, it's a father word. But the problem is they all only wanted to see it as a source word. God is our source, so he's the one who provision comes from. Provision became the key. Not the relationship with the one who is the provider. Do you, do you see that? How that subtle, subtle misreading or misapplication affects how we engage with God. And God says, I want you to come out of Egypt and worship me. I want my son to be able to engage with me face to face, but guess who was the only one who got that? Moses. Because he took God at his word, and this is something that Alan touched on a few weeks ago, the way of faith is I choose to believe God is who he says he is, not who I think he should be. So if God is who he says he is, and he says, you are my son, I say, you are my father. What is my response? You are my father. So I choose to interact with you on the basis that you call me. So when you reveal yourself to me as provider or healer, these are not things I am grasping at. It's a person I'm relating to. Does that make sense? Okay. So for today, I want to cover this idea of what God has brought us into. And... um, Scripture talks about you being given the spirit of adoption. A heart cry that is able to know God personally as Father. So before I unpack that, I want us to just understand that this whole idea of Father being source is a good concept. It is a necessary one. But in John chapter 5, you see Jesus talking and Jesus keeps referring to God as his Father. And that ticked these guys off. These Pharisees standing there were like, he keeps talking about different things. He's got decent stuff to say. But he keeps referring to God as his dad. That's troublesome. No one gets to be so blasphemous to think that God is their father. Excuse me, if you read your scriptures, you will see that God says he is your father. And then... When he questions them, they say, yes, God is our father, but they immediately revert back to this source concept. So they're comfortable with God being the one who all things come from. But the moment you say God wants to get close to you, hang on there, buddy, uh, not so fast. I'm cool with the, I come to church services, and you know, I, my little measly old self, I might sing a couple of songs, and maybe could you say a prayer for me? Why is that such a prevalent thing in the church today? Is it good to ask for prayer? Good, yeah, absolutely. But there is a sense of shame and guilt that covers so many Christians that they feel, I don't think I can do it right. So you, you, you seem to have a better connection with the Father. And that, so the audacity that it would take to say, no, God's my father. I can talk to him about this. 
is not something that we're so comfortable with. And we have grown up in a religious system that says there are some people who have it and some people who are just trying to make it. And some of us, we're chopped liver. We're just basically, the, we don't even get the first thing about being Christian. So you better go to the professionals. What? And no one will say these things. Not, not for a second will you have anyone have the audacity to say it like that. But we feel it. You sit next to somebody in church, oh, you know, they really have a connection. Rather than saying, what is it that they see of God that I am missing, that I can engage with, because God is my Father too. I want you to understand that God is unlike anyone we see on earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and this is where I kind of want to... This is what Bob touched on for the past two weeks. God's goal is transforming us. Transforming us into what? Okay, I believe Jesus is my Savior. Now what? His goal is that as we see His glory... Can you, can you understand that whenever you see this word, beholding the glory of the Lord... We often think of fancy concepts, right? Something or something amazing. When God reveals himself as Father, do you see a loving face as the glory of God? Some of the most brilliant, magnificent pictures or perceptions of who God is is when you behold him as Father. It is a glorious thing. So when you read a passage like this, don't just simply think, oh, when, you, when I see God as a king and when I see him like, woof, he's ruling over the things of the earth. Yes, but when you look at your dad, is he the best thing on the planet? My dad is better than your dad. My dad could bench press. In a, you know, like these kids in school. You know, my dad could lift a truck. No kid, he couldn't. But... It's, it's, one, it's, that, it's that sense of such wonder of the glory of someone I am connected to. When it's a good relationship, do you see that sense of confidence your children have in their parent or their adult, their mom or their dad? That sense of, it's almost like a conviction that's so strong, you can't tell them your dad cannot pick up a truck. That's stupid, because I know he can't. Have you seen his muscles? Have you seen my mom? She can do anything. There is that conviction that they have, which is faith. Why? Because there is a conviction about who they say they are. And then they take that and it's a beholding a glory. So with the God who has called us, he says, when you behold him, you're being transformed into the same image of his son, Jesus. From one place of glory to another. You become more and more like the dad you watch. Like the mom you behold. You start to become more and more like the family that you're from. For, for, us, for some of us, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Right? There are certain things for people who know me personally and my family. When they see me move, when they, they're like, your dad like they can it's, it's it's not something i'm trying to do i don't speak like him but i do speak like him some people make fun of me that my eyes i do all kinds of things with my eyebrows that are very my dad now i did not learn that i did not try that i did not go into a mirror and go like you know like let me do, let me do some you know do some of those things but it is it is part of me why as i behold somebody who is personally so connected to me, I become more like them. So yes, have you been born again in Jesus? Yes. But do you look like Jesus yet? You're getting there. You're completely in the family, but as you grow and mature in him, you will start to find more facets of something that you totally are. So are you trying to become like Jesus? No. You're fully covered in Jesus, but you look more and more like him. It's almost like, oh, I'm talking to Jesus here. But if you come home with me, 
there will be times where you might not hear Jesus in me. Right? Why is that? Because I sometimes get distracted and set my eyes on something else, and I get weighed down by that. So rather than what Romans 12 2 tells us, don't be conformed to the pattern or the way of this world, but learn the way of seeking God as your Father. Philippians 1 verse 6, we did this again last week. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So God, when he called you by name, he didn't just simply say, hey, random people, if you choose, you want to come, we got free tickets here. It's faith night at Word of Grace. You can just, it isn't one of those things. He very deliberately sought you out while you were still lost. And he says, I've called you by name. You are mine. You responded, saying, I believe who you say you are. That was the simple act of obedience that you took. You said, I believe you are who you say you are. And there started a journey. Okay? It started a journey of you becoming more and more like Jesus. You do the eyebrow thing. You start doing the, the shoulder shrug thing. You start to become more and more those, those natural, very unprovoked actions that make you you. Start to look more and more like the family you're from. And that's amazing. Isn't that something that we all would desire? To say, Lord, may those subtle, almost unplanned mannerisms that I have be so filled with kindness, gentleness, patience. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Long-suffering. Are we long-suffering or short-suffering? Right? These are things. This is, this is how my God is. This is who He is innately. So if I am His... He's calling me to something more than him saying, yeah, tell me when you need a few bucks. I will be the source of that. I need some kindness bucks. Okay, so I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to ask him for some, I told God, give me the grace. You know, have you heard that? And it's usually used as a filler for wanting to cuss. God, give me the grace. But it isn't really asking God for grace. And it comes from a perception that sees God as someone who kind of makes up for your foolishness. And he does, except he says, I don't want my son to be foolish all the time. I don't want my daughter to be foolish all the time. So if you're coming to me, I am expecting the moment you come to my hand that you want me to train you. The problem is, we don't want to be trained. We don't want that pruning. We don't want that cypress, that tree that, that grows strong. We don't want those, that, that pruning, that changing of God, taking something that is one way and saying, I'm going to make it another. We don't want it. As long as I get 50 bucks to buy my Nintendo Switch game, I'm good. Tell me what it's going to take. Should I tidy up my room? But why did your room get untidy in the first place? Let's deal with that. Oh, but he's a kid. Guess what? He's not going to be a kid forever. When do you learn that having an untidy room is not cool? When do you get that? When do you get taught that you're going to have to feed yourself and you can't go getting takeout every night? I'm talking to some people who still struggle with that, right? It's because we haven't been willing to let ourselves be trained. How we handle our relationships, how we handle our finances. These are all things that don't just happen, people. So when we come to God, we expect him to just make up for the foolishness and supply whatever is needed. The concept of sonship and being a daughter is not wrapped up in him just saying, 
well, I'm the man with the goodies, and I will do the whole Santa Claus thing. Like, every time you need, every once in a while, I'll throw you some good stuff. That is not the father he is. For God to be our father, we need to be clear about this whole idea of being brought out of something into a new way of living. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 and all the way through 17, it says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In him we have redemption from sin and forgiveness of those sins. He is the image of the invisible God and he is the firstborn of all creation. Again, you see that source language there of God being the source. He is the firstborn. However, what was the verses before? He is a God who also redeems and makes whole completely. He makes sound, he makes complete things that weren't. The idea of redemption is woven into who God is as Father. He is the one who makes up for debt. What is the debt that you carry? It is his debt. And he says, paid in full. Any debt that my son owes, you were once a stranger. You were once a nobody walking around making foolish decisions by yourself. And then you heard mercy call. You responded to that and he says, I will call you my son. I will call you my daughter. Now guess what? When you were not connected to me, you made some really boneheaded decisions. You have racked up some crazy kind of debt in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. But now you are mine. So guess what? Paid in full. Paid in full. That is what he's calling you into, but you're like, no, I, I know he's going to extract it from me some other way. Uh, I know he just paid off all my student loans and all of the, you know, and, but if he, if he gave me that, there must be some catch. He, he must want some, something. That's not how a father operates. Do you have the family name? Ask yourself, do I have the family name which, is, which belongs to Jesus? If the answer is yes, then every single debt you have has been paid by the one who holds all things together. He speaks a word and he says, everything that is yours has now become mine. But the trade-off is what is his has now become yours. Everything. And this concept, I want to actually want to read this so that you see this clearly. In Galatians chapter 4, chapter 5, uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law. So there was a law of rightness that everyone had to come under. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And that word their sons is the word heir. So that includes sons and daughters. But in the context of this passage... What Paul is using here is the language. He's using a Roman illustration, and he wants you to see this clearly. What we have in Jesus is way more than a Roman cultural illustration. But he wants you to understand when your adoption as sons, in, in Roman culture especially, when someone, basically you, you chose your children. If you chose not to have children, you didn't need to have the children. But once you chose them and adopted them into your family, how many of you have seen the movie Ben-Hur? It's an old movie. 
ancient, okay, that's a, so if you have a, if you've ever watched Ben-Hur, you will have some context for this. You see this Jewish person who was a slave on a ship, and then he gets off, and this Roman centurion says, I will make you my son, Quintus Arius. He now has a new name. He's a Jewish kid. But now he has been adopted as a son and has the signet power of everything that this centurion has. You're not just brought into the household. That's the problem. In our context, when we think about adoption, we think about just someone taking me in. That's as far as the concept goes. And then I grow into the family. Right? But what Jesus says, and this is what Paul is trying to get you to grasp here. When you have adoption, he's saying everything from that moment onwards, everything that is God's now fully becomes yours. Fully. Not not like, oh, I'm going to wait till this guy's a little bit older and then maybe the trust fund will open up. Everything that he has is fully in your name now. And he wants you to see that he's not playing halvesies with you. Let me see if you kind of are one of those kids I should have spent my time on. Mm-mm. That's a human concept that is wrapped up in performance. And we all have seen some of the disasters of relationships where our love and our affection is based on our performance. Our acceptance is based on our ability to please people. Jesus, who is the firstborn of this family, says, I have done everything that is necessary to make you fully acceptable. There's never going to be a debt that you have to pay. So our adoption into sonship comes through Jesus. So what Jesus did, Jesus stands fully as the perfect kid in that sense. Just for you to understand the illustration. And he stands before the father constantly. Fully blameless. And he says, they're with me. Donovan's with me. Alan's with me. Pat's with me. So there's nothing that she has done or he has done that we could then pick out and say, but did you cover that? Shouldn't they have fixed this by now? He who began this work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. He has a vested interest in making sure that you have all the skill to use everything he has. So me helping you with an untidy room, I have a vested interest in making sure you know how to tidy your room. I have a vested interest in making sure you eat properly. I have a vested interest in, in making sure you know how to use finance. These are things that, as a father who is deeply connected to you, he doesn't want you to only have access to the snack drawer. Some of my kids right now, they only know where their plastic bowls and cups are and where the snack drawer is. Those are the two things that they go between. That's fine for now. But if you eventually do not know that the kitchen counter needs to be cleaned after every meal, that's not your mom's job. That's not your dad's job either. Trash is not my job. See, it's this, it's this kind of philosophy where we make way for a lack of maturity. Why? Because you're just the source. You're never invited into the relationship of what I have is yours. You want, that, you want that side of the equation. But guess what? Everything you have is mine. So I have a vested interest in seeing that you mature into it. So when you see God put his hand on your life, don't say, I'm, I would much rather just pray and ask for the things when I need it. What if God wanted kindness to be a way that is within you? It's a pattern of living. It's a pattern of operating. It's not something that you're trying to create in the moment. Oh, God, I need, oh, I need patience. It's not one of those things. Train patience before patience is needed. 
train generosity before generosity is needed. And train a heart that loves the Father completely. And that is the thing that I found for myself in, my, in training my children. One of the things that I'm most having to pay attention to is, do you love me? I ask that question constantly. Because if your obedience is based on your performance, which then gives you a carrot, it's a carrot and stick kind of thing. Whereas if I challenge the fundamental underpinning of why do you engage with what I have asked you, if it is not love, it will only bring law. It will only bring a response that is based out of fear. If dad sees that, if mom sees that. And there is some of that. There are certain things that should concern you that this my parents would not approve of. However, if the relationship is not founded and nourished constantly on the basis of love, what will end up happening is my performance will always be something that secretly nags me as to whether I'm going to make it in or not. And we bring that into our Christian relationships. Especially with God. There, have you noticed on days when you have not done well in the things of God that you feel accused? That you feel like, oh, I don't know if I can worship today. I don't know if I can pray today. You know where that comes from? Not seeing your father. That when you feel like crap, when you feel like I have ruined everything, that is when I need to see my father. When I've totaled the car, that's when I need to see my father. Don't wait. Don't try and fix it. Don't try and cover it up. Because guess what? With the resources that you have that you use to cover whatever it is up, you'll make it worse. But rather, to have dad sit with you on the couch and say, let's talk about this. It's not going to be a pretty conversation. But everything that he has is yours. No holds barred. So, if Jesus calls us, and this is where I want you to see this whole idea of our Father. Now, if I would say the Lord's Prayer, what would you say is the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But that's a disciple's prayer. He was teaching us a way to pray. He was not giving us language to use. He was teaching us this is the way you approach him. I want you to see that God is your father. If you really want to see the Lord's Prayer, actually let's read through the Lord's Prayer. It's found in John chapter 17. If you truly want to see what the Lord's Prayer is, turn to John chapter 17. And it says in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come to glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. He addresses God as father and immediately draws himself immediately to giving him the place and the work that he is due. He knows the job that he has been sent for, but it all comes from you. So he immediately draws himself to a place of hallowing God's name. So go back to Matthew chapter 6, where you find the teaching of him saying, this is how you should pray. I want you to learn this way. If you read that in, in, in your Bible, you'll, say, you'll see him say that. Lord, teach us how to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray this way. He didn't say pray these words. He said, pray in this way. Our Father. Not His Father. Our Father. Just for homework, read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and you will see the language Jesus uses in those chapters. He shifts the focus from Him, because He always talks about God being His Father, right? But in those chapters, you will find He says, Your Father cares for the sparrows. Your Father has all these things. All you need to do is ask. That's the passage where you get this whole idea of, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your 
Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to them who ask. It's all those chapters right there. And you can so quickly miss it because you think he's just talking about his dad. God, Jesus is just talking about his father. No, 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 no. He's talking to you about your father. And when, in John chapter 20, when Jesus is about to leave, he says, I'm about to leave. I go to my father and your father. To my God and to your God. This concept of God being our God and father is a very unique one. And he has chosen, out of all the expressions of who he is intrinsically, it's not just like a mode of who he is. This is who he is. He says, I want you, every time you approach me, call me dad. You mean I shouldn't call you king? No, that doesn't mean that. There are times where I'm, con I'm so aware of the context that my dad is king. But he's my dad. I'm aware that my dad is healer, but he's my dad. I'm aware that my dad is the Lord, the Jehovah of, the, of all the hosts of heaven. The Lord of armies, but he's my dad. The creator to, of the ends of the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the ancient of days, is my dad. The problem is we, the moment we say uh, ancient of days or the holy one, we distance ourselves and say, but I'm not like that. Which is why Jesus is like, no, 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 be holy because your dad is holy. No, 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 I, I know I'm trying. I'm trying to be a better man. I'm trying to be a better Christian. No, 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 stop trying. This is who you are. Now learn to mature in these things as you spend time with your heavenly father. The more you spend time with your Heavenly Father, you will start to find these things become natural ticks almost. Yes. You just start to, holiness becomes a way of living. I'm like, oh, what's a holy thing to do here? Uh, uh, holy things, uh, okay, maybe I should uh, give some money to poor people. No. Maybe the, the holy thing for you to do, the, the God thing for you to do that day was to encourage your spouse. But you were busy trying to give poor people money. Do you understand? Because in our mindset, we're looking for something that will give us brownie points. Something that will, that will somehow curry some sort of favor with God. He says, the only thing that can be favorable to me is the work of my son. So if you do not come on the basis of sonship, you don't have any standing. This is a family business here. If you don't get the family aspect of the kingdom of God, you don't get the kingdom of God. You don't get to be a part of his kingdom if you don't understand what it is to be his child. Those are mind-blowing things to consider, but you study the scripture and you'll start to see, how did I not see this before? He refuses to give anything to anyone who tries to achieve it. The moment he sees someone trying, he, he, he takes his hands off. He's like, all right, go ahead. The moment you say, Lord, I need, he gives grace to the humble. There is an abounding of his heart towards you. And that's what I'm praying over these couple of weeks, that you will start to see that He's calling you into a place where he's saying, I want to I give you everything I have. I want you to be filled up to the fullness of God. Ephesians chapter 3 tells us that, right? That you will be rooted and grounded together in love. That you will be filled up to the whole fullness of God. The fullness of God has been given. But that you would be filled up in the fullest measure. Standing up like a strong fully mature adult, together as the church, together with the saints of God, you will be able to comprehend the length and the breadth, the depth and the height of the love of God. Because each of you is an important part of this family. There is no hierarchy. This is what aches, this, this is what burns 
me up inside when I see in the church of God, when we have people who would much rather give deference to a position, there is only one who is father. Jesus himself says that. You have no need to call anyone father anymore. There is one. You have no need to call anyone teacher. There is one. And this is in the family. So as siblings, serve one another. Outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Why? Because we have one father. We don't have, we don't have to play competitions in this family. We don't have to be like someone else either. My daughter still doesn't know how to not soil her diaper. Whereas my 8-year-old and my 10-year-old, and they, they're comfortable with doing that. Now, is that a mark against my daughter? No. She's at a stage of growth where she needs to. So when we see one another on different places of our journey with our father, we don't come down saying, seriously. It's because we're looking at adults, right? Most of the time we're looking at adults. So we tend to pass judgment on the basis of where we think they should be. We forget God is a merciful father. I want to leave you with these passages of scripture just, just to comfort your heart as you're looking at this. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4. This has really helped me over the years. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father. He's not a taskmaster. He's a merciful Father. And the source of all our comfort. God is dad and mom wrapped up in one. Think about the ideal dad and mom. That is God. He is the source of our comfort, but not as the comfort, but as the comforter. You get him. You get him. You don't get the thing. Stop looking for the thing. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. This is a family business. This is a family thing. This is the way the family operates. When someone is hurt, we don't jump on them. We don't pounce on them with get over it. We come alongside one another with the comfort that we have received. Do you see that? Everything, the ministry of salvation. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send. Who is he talking to? Okay, what did Jesus come to do? What did Jesus come to do? To save. What is his, and this is where I, I'm hoping that more of this, as it comes out, you will start to see. To save, to what end? So that you will see the Father. He says, the reason I have come is that I can reveal the Father. That is why I came. And yes, to reveal the Father, I need to save some. To, to reveal the Father, I need to tear down the works of the evil one. To reveal the Father, I need to show them the generosity of God, that grace has come. All of these things, if you, if you were to put it in one sense, reveal the Father being the main point, and then everything that falls under it, is bringing all things together towards reconciliation. God is the father who sees an orphaned world. And he's saying, I've sent my son to reconcile all things. Do you see that word? He has come to reconcile all things. What does reconcile mean? To bring back to even. To bring back to completion. To bring back to wholeness. To reconcile. When you're doing accounting, if you've got... I mean, we're in tax season right now, right? So if you've got something going on, you need to reconcile the books. It needs to be brought back to a place where this, your, your debts or your expenses match up with how much you received. If it's off, you might owe. If it's less, you might get something back. Right? That's what happens with reconciliation. The more you find reconciliation in creation, God is saying, I'm not just the source person. 
He says, I want all of you to know me. So when you think about Jesus and the work he came to do, I want you to think first in your mind saying, you have come to show me who my father is. I lost, I was lost. I did not know who my parents were. You made me part of the family, not just in a token sense. I'm not a child of God in a token sense, where I'm not really part of the family, but they called me part of the family, so I guess I'm part of the family. No, 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 no. You are a child of God. This is where the biggest misnomer is that not every, you know, like when you look at people, everyone's a child of God. No, everyone is not a child of God. Everyone is a child of God in the first sense because God is the creator. So all living things are his offspring. But only for as many as believed him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. It's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. This might mess with some of your theology, but this is very clear in scripture. God did not come to just make it like, oh, I, guess, I guess you're all my kids, so whatever you do. Um, no, no, no. If you don't respond to him as your father, this is why this is so critical. If you have not come through the way of sonship or the way of adoption, you're basically saying, no, I get to be a child of God and be wherever I am. He says, no, no can do. If you're going to be in this house, shame is not allowed to dog you. Your past is not allowed to define you. However, believe it, you're part of this household. So I'm going to train you. If you don't like training, you better get used to it. It's going to be 5 a.m. bells, push-ups. The problem is none of us like the concept of undergoing transformation. We, we all want the, the benefit at the end. We don't want the transition process. Anyone who joins our armed forces, our nation has one of the most rigorous training programs to get into the armed forces. It's crazy. Now, does everyone want to sign up? Does it, how about if I put up a sign-up sheet at the back? You want to do it? We can get you a whole bunch of recruits today. I bet not even like two or three would even want to. Why? Is it because we don't love our country? No. It's because half of us wouldn't hack it. Do you understand? So it's, and this is part of the human condition. We're not willing to pay the price to belong. We're just, we want to still be able to say, I can sit on the couch, eat potato chips, and be fine, as long as there's a new season of whatever coming out. And God says, no, if you're going to spend seven hours watching the show and then wonder why you've not met with me and you're tired and I just feel like when I read the Bible, it's boring. Okay, let's start there. Right now we're at that point. The Bible is boring. A seven-hour show is fine. I can eat all the chips I want. Okay? So that's, let's, let's acknowledge that that might be diaper phase. I'm not passing judgment on you for where you're at. However, if you think you can stay there, aha, aha. If I see you next year and you're still watching seven hours of shows and eating potato chips and sitting on a couch in your faith, I will say, brother, where's your butt? <laughs> right? Because for me to love you, I have to recognize that we're part of a household. We have chores. We have things we need to do. We have to do the trash. It's not, you're not going to just simply wait till God does it. He wants you co-laboring with him. So this is something that you will start to discover. As next week, I want to go through why we do these things in Jesus' name. These are all things that we often have a very religious idea about. Why is God our father? Why does he want us to understand that we're actually his family? And next week, I want to cover, why do we do this always in Jesus' name? It's not just a tagline we use before we say amen. 
But for many of us, that's what it is. The only time I say in Jesus' name is when I'm finishing a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. For us to move past and say, what is the reality you're calling me into that has to become a way, a pattern for me? That it guides my every thought, it guides my speaking, it guides my moving around. When I find myself caught in the midst of a battle, how does the way of approaching God as Father, the way of coming through His Son, Jesus, why is that important? Why should I understand these things and not just as a head knowledge thing? Do you understand? I, I want us to move past just the head knowledge of it to saying, I want to see God clearly. Okay? Can we just pray together? Father, I thank you that you have made things simple for children. No matter what stage of our growing up we are in, you are committed to each of us deeply. Lord, and I thank you for that. Your Holy Spirit is here to move among us. Your Holy Spirit is the one who helps us cry out, Abba, Father, we thank you for that. So Lord, I ask that this witness of Abba, of Daddy, Lord, would become more and more clear in each heart. Lord, that we would pursue you with a full heart, not holding anything back. Lord, that we would see that we have been called into a family where you alone are the one who defines us. Not our past, not our culture, not even our future gets to define us. Lord, you do that. So Lord, we, we bring the needs of our world and our concerns in our families to you, Lord, right now. Knowing that you're our Father. We hallow your name. Lord, we, we glorify your name as holy. Lord, we know that there is no one like you. We acknowledge that you are the sovereign one. You are over the affairs of all mankind. We thank you. Just receive from the Lord right now. Be glorified in your church, Lord. Be glorified in this family. Amen.